I asked Doug to uh, sing a different song uh, during the worship set. He, he declined. Uh, you may have heard it. Uh, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Uh, but what is love? Um, it, it, seems like, uh, it seems like it should be an easy question to answer because uh, we're constantly inundated with tales about love uh, in the culture. And yet, uh, it's actually, it's, there, there's some disagreement, and, and especially there's disagreement uh, in the Bible against what um, love is, is thought of in the culture. Uh, not that the Bible doesn't, you know, talk about things like romantic love and the love of friendship and all those different things, but there is a special kind of love, uh, that is the love of God. And so let's take a look today at uh, what the love of God is and let's see how um, we can em- empower it in our, in our lives. So uh, this is 1 John 4, uh, 7 to 10. Dear friends, or uh, beloved, or um, my family, dear family, let's love each other. Because love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born from God, is God born, and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God's love for us has been revealed in us. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we could live because or through him, because of or through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atonement sacrifice for our sins. Uh, This is probably one of the most radical texts uh, in all of religious history. Let's take a look at it a little bit closer and first notice this. God is love. Now, that might, uh, that might just strike us as kind of like, well, yeah, obviously, God is love. But that's not how it was in the ancient world. In the ancient world, God was, gods were lots of things, but they certainly weren't love. Think about it this way. Uh, you can say about somebody that they're this or that, right? Like, uh, I can say that Nate is a school teacher, okay? But I would be odd if I said something like, Nate is anger, or Nate is love, or Nate is wrath, or Nate is justice, or Nate is mercy, right? Those seem to be like attributes that Nate might or might not have, but it certainly doesn't seem like that's who Nate is. And moreover, in the ancient world, the gods were like that too. Like there's Thor, right? He's the god of thunder. He's not the, he, thunder is like something that Thor does. He has the power to bring down thunder. Or Mars is the god of war. God, uh, Mars has the power to create war, to execute war faithfully. Uh, Athena is the god of, goddess of wisdom. So she has, this, she's the, has the ability to, to make you wise. Right? But notice that none of those things are uh, like abstract attributes. And, and how is it possible that God, then, that God could be love? That love itself is God. What does that mean? That is a bizarre claim. How do we make sense of that? And then uh, what comes before it? Love comes from God. Everyone who uh, loves has been born from God and knows God. Well, that's obviously not true, right? Because you have friends. You've been to a wedding where uh, two people loved each other, and they got married and had nothing to do with Jesus or God or anything, right? Well, that, that, that's surely they have love, yes? How is it that everyone who loves has been born from God and knows God? Well, clearly, John's talking about a kind of love that is much different than anything that we are used to. And that bit, everyone who uh, loves has been born from God and knows God. Uh, the Greek there is ginosko. Uh, the, I think it, it's more expansive than our term know. It probably, in this case, you could probably translate it recognizes God. Uh, because there's a sense in Gnosko of like, like you see something and because of experience you recognize it. 
Uh, my, my buddy Mike, who uh, we work on sermons together, he's, uh, his church is in, um, in Minneapolis. And uh, Mike was a, a chaplain in the army. And when he uh, was training, we went to a seminary together, and he graduated. He didn't want to pay for it, and so he promised the United States government that if they paid for it, he would fight their wars for them, and he did. Uh, before he did, though, before he uh, did his um, deployments in Iraq, uh, he had to go through training. And there was an optional training that he took, um, I think it was, we might have still been in school when he did it, uh, but it's, it's called ranger training. Now, you may not know this, uh, but... Uh, chaplains in the United States Army are not allowed to carry weapons. They're non-combatants. Okay, so so Mike had like a he had a, a private who was assigned to him who was like his personal defense man. And so when Mike was in combat situations, he would go out, but he couldn't do anything other than pray or be with. Um, he he was not in, in combat situations. He was not allowed to, to to fight. Nevertheless, he took the opportunity to go to Ranger School. He wanted to do it because one of his mentors said that a lot, one of the problems in the, in the army is that a lot of chaplains uh, look like me uh, and not like uh, Steve or John. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is that a lot of chaplains are there for the money and uh, they might believe in some stuff, but they really let themselves go and no one really respects them because they're not tough. And it's really obvious. And Mike, uh, one of Mike's mentors was like, one thing that you can do, so it, it, you, might not, uh, you may not know this, if you go to ranger school, you complete, it's like 61 days, I think, of elite combat training. Um, it's just horrible. Uh, very, very few. Uh, only the most elite uh, soldiers can do it. Uh, and it, it, it's like six, 60 days of them trying to make you miserable and quit. Um, and to, to do things that you're not able to do. But if you complete the school, whether or not you join a ranger battalion, you get the honor of having the ranger tab. And so Mike, when he went into, you know, when he toured in, in, in Iraq, he walked into his, you know, his battalion or his unit, whatever it is, and, and, and they're like, oh, hey, chaplain, and then they see the tab. And immediately everyone's like, who is this guy? Because if you haven't been to ranger school, you've heard about it, and you know how tough it is. This is a man of God. Moreover, uh, Mike describes um, how when military people um, meet each other, especially um, when they're, you know, when they're first meeting, they're always looking at each other's, like, I don't know, rank and whatever to find out who's, you know, at the top of the pecking order, who's cool, who's not. And, and what, he, what he found was he would walk in, just kind of do one of these, hey, brother. And, and, and if he found someone else who looked at, like, ranger back, ranger to ranger, it was like there was an instant um, connection an instant recognition that, that there was something shared between these people that almost nobody else uh, could understand or experience. But, but they both, they recognized, I know you, and I know what you've been through, and I know what kind of person you are because you've done this. There's something about you that very few people in the world uh, can say is true of them. And this is something we share. It's unique. It's powerful. And it instantly connects us in a way uh, that's very hard to describe. Well, that's exactly what John thinks about God's love. God's love is this, it's unique, it's different, it's strange, and yet anyone who's experienced it, anyone who uh, has been born from God, anyone who has gone through the experience of being loved in this way, 
instantly recognizes it when they see it in the world. They instantly recognize this is a different type of love. It's a special love, and I know exactly what it looks like. Even if I can't define it, I, can, I, can, I know it. I know it when I see it. That's the first thing in your note sheets. Uh, if God is love, then God's love is different than any other kind of love. And I, I, I really should add to that. And if you've experienced it, you know it when you see it. Even if you can't define it, if you've experienced it, you know it when you see it. Well, what is it? What, what is this love? Uh, John gives us two kind of uh, examples to help us understand, articulate what this love is. Uh, the first thing we, we notice is God sent—this is how, we, how God's love for us has been revealed in us. Uh, notice, in us, not to us. This is something we experience, we, we do. Um, love is an action, not uh, an abstract attribute. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we could live because of him or through him. Uh, does that, if you've been in church for a while, does that sound like a verse that you know? Yeah. What verse is that? John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not die, perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. Yes. This is, uh, this, is, this is John rephrasing or paraphrasing that, that, that uh, quote from Jesus in John 3. But what's interesting about this love, it is, it, remember, it's not something that we feel. It's not something that we, uh, it's something that's done. And, and, what, and what, what, how is it done? It's, it's in an act of sending, right? So God is love, and what, what it means to be God is to send, is to, to, to send out to commission, to give a mission to someone. This is, this is the basic uh, part of what love in action looks like. Real love, God's love, is ascending. It's always missional. And what is it for? It's so that we can live because of him, that we can have eternal life because of him. There's a mission to bring life, eternal life. It's good that we got to hear from Robin today. If you don't know Robin's story, uh, Robin and Karen, I have a picture of them, they, uh, they came to Coast in the late 70s, is that right? Late 70s, Robin and Karen, we're living in Newport, is that correct? San Juan, okay, but you had a Porsche. They had a Porsche. Uh, high earner, you know, go-getter, Robin Wood. Um, the way the story gets told is that they had everything, you know, uh, all the stuff that the world had to offer. Um, you know, money and success and whatnot. And, uh, <laughs> and in Robin's words, we were miserable. Like, I don't know how you'd be miserable driving a Porsche, but he, he figured it out. They came to Coast and um, looking for, for, for something, looking for something. And at Coast, uh, the gospel was preached. And, and Robin and Karen found out that uh, Jesus died for them and that by having, just believing in him, they could have eternal life. And so they did. And then they were like, well, this is what life is about. It's not about the Porsche. It's about something else. And my understanding, someone came to you, right, and was like, hey, would you like to start a camp? Is that correct? Yeah. So here's this couple. They're 20s probably. This is 42 42 years ago? 42 years ago. Uh, uh, So someone comes to them and is like, hey, would you like to start a camp for um, abused and neglected children? And as... Every totally insane person would. They said yes, and they did it. And on a shoestring budget, no, 
really not knowing what the heck they were doing. They just went up and began Camp Allendale. Uh, why? Well, they, so what happened? Coast Bible Church sent Robert and, Robert and Karen out to do what? To, to, to minister to these kids, to bring them life. These are kids whose parents um, had, you know, either neglected them or sexually or physically abused them. We're talking about the kids who need help more than anyone, who are the, the lowest of the low, the weakest of the weak. Uh, these are the kids who need it the most. And what were they brought? Were they brought, uh, they, were, they were brought eternal life. They were, it was explicitly evangelistic. You come to camp, you find out about Jesus, you find out about life. But it's not just, we believe and you can have eternal life, you can go to heaven, but it's not just that, right? Uh, the, the, kids, the kids at Camp Allendale, they don't just need eternal They definitely need eternal life. They need forgiveness of sin. They need a new start. They need eternal life. But they need something more. They need that life now. They need the life of God, the divine life, the eternal life to start now. It's eternal. Yes, it goes on, but it starts today. What they need is healing and redemption. They need a new start, a new chance. Eternal life for them is not just a promise of living forever. It's a promise to be able to truly live now. The love of God is always on mission to bring eternal life, capital L life, real life now. It's the next thing in your note sheets. The love of God is always on a mission for eternal life. If you're wondering what God's love, what it is to be God, it is to always be on mission to bring life. Real life, redemptive life, full life, true life, thriving life. John, uh, he, he gives us another, another taste, another way to think about what the eternal life of God or what the love of God is. In this is love, he says, not that we loved God, but the, that he loved us. And what sent his, his son as what? An atonement sacrifice for our sins. Older translations will use the word propitiation, which is not in common English usage at this point. I, I don't know if it ever was, but I've never had anyone come up to me and be like, can I propitiate for you? I'm waiting. Someday. It's an interesting word. Uh, the Greek is halasmos. Um, and the Lazmas actually comes, uh, it's being used by John uh, as a reference to the way that the Old Testament was translated into Greek, uh, what we call the Septuagint. So uh, some hundred, a couple hundred years uh, before Jesus, the, uh, the, the, the Greek-speaking uh, Hebrew scholars translated uh, the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. And at a specific point in Leviticus, uh, they, they use a very rare word in Greek, helasmos, to describe uh, what goes on at the at Yom Kippur? Does anyone know what Yom Kippur is? The Day of Atonement. Yes, Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. It's the highest holy day in the Hebrew calendar, Israelite people. And at the Day of Atonement, uh, what happens is all of Israel is, is purified and forgiven in one, in one fell swoop. And how does it happen? Well, I got a picture here of... Uh, some sacrifice going on. Do you, does anyone know how many uh, animals are killed in the, uh, in the Day of Atonement? It's, uh, it's five. You might have heard of a couple of them, but actually there's a bull that gets sacrificed to purify the, uh, the high priest. There's a ram to, uh, to cover up his sins. Or, or, you know, so he's purified from, from before God. Then his sins are forgiven by the ram. Then there is another ram that's sacrificed for all the people of Israel to cover their sins. And then lastly, there's two goats. 
And uh, what happened would the, the high priest would take these two goats and would uh, do some gambling, like a ca- casting of lots. And one of the goats uh, would be dedicated to Yahweh. And that goat was, was slain and burned as like a gift to God, saying, God, thank you so much for being able uh, to forgive us and, and to take care of us. The second goat, after the very end of the ceremony, the ritual, the high priest went out. It's interesting, too, the, the way the, the sacrifices work. They purify the inner parts of the temple. Then they purify the outer parts and the, and the people of the temple. And at the very end, the very end, all this, this pollution and sin is being wiped away by these sacrifices. God's smelling the sacrifices, pleased and happy to, to forgive the people's sins. And so they're, they're almost out. All the sin, all the impurity, all of the horror uh, of the last year is, is right at the edge of the temple. And so the priest comes and, and puts his hand on this goat and can confesses all of that sin, all of that pollution, says, God, we, we have been wicked before you. We have done X, Y, and Z. We, um, we are sorry. We, we beg to be reconciled to you, to be, to be back in your good graces. We're going to take all of that. We're going to take all of that, that, that sin. We're going to put it on this goat. And then they slap the goat, and the goat runs out into the wilderness, uh, into the demonic wilderness, symbolically taking all of Israel's impurity and sin out into the, the to, to be destroyed. To, the, the goat will be preyed upon by predators and, and killed. So when John calls Jesus the Helasmos, he's not just, he's calling him uh, five different sacrifices that, that, that cover all of the sin, all of the things that are wrong, not just with, with the people of Israel, but the whole world. But the thing about sacrifices is that they cost you your life. Our term sacrifice, I mean, we get it from this practice, but our term sacrifice is pretty watered down when you think about it. It's like, I sacrificed my uh, morning to, you know, go watch my girls play soccer. Good for me. But in actuality, in reality, sacrifice is the practice of, of one being paying the cost in life so that others might live. John brings this up because he wants to tell us something really, really important about the love of God. Something that the world can never understand. What makes the love of God so different than any other kind of love? Not only is it a mission uh, to bring life, to bring true life uh, to, to people, it's, it's not just that. It's also that it comes at a cost. But the one that, that God being love, what that means is that God, it costs God to, love, to, to be for us. In fact, it costs God's, in Christ, God's own life. It costs God torture and death. It costs God the ultimate price in order to bring us life. If you want to know what the love of God is, if you're looking for it, look for something that hurts. It's the next thing in your note sheets. The love of God always saves, but at a cost. Do you hear what Robin said? Yeah, we'd love to expand camp. But it's really, really hard. It's hard for guys to take a week off work. 
It's a big cost. We would love to have more opportunities for these kids who have been raped and hurt. But someone's going to have to give something up to make that happen. But when it does, it is undeniably a special kind of love. A love that says yes to the other, no to me. A love that the world looks at and says, how stupid. But a love that is also absolutely compelling in our hearts. A love that we look at and we say, man, there is no question, there is no question that that comes from a different place. A different source, a different being, a different reality than the one we're faced with on a day-to-day basis. If we're going to say that Coast Bible Church is a place where the love of God reigns, look out. It might hurt. It might cost us. But if we do it, if we obey, we find ourselves empowered by the king to do these things, we will see an abundance of life. Life out of dry bones. Life out of death. Life out of pain. Life out of rejection. Life out of alienation. Life out of bigotry. Life out of racism life out of all of the things that, that, that tear human beings apart, we're going to see that if we're willing to pay a little bit of the cost. So let's take a look. Uh, let's, just, let's just bring it back. What do we do? Okay. Dear friends, let's love each other. Okay. What's that going to look like here? Uh, here's the, here's the, remember, this is what John's saying. Notice that, that John understands that Christians don't do this very well. Remember, these are all people who believe in Jesus already, and he's still like, hey, guys, we have more work to do. Let's love each other. It's the, we're not there yet. We've done, we've done it. We've experienced it. We know it. We've seen it. But we could do, we, it's more. There's more to be done. What do we right now, Coast Bible Church, as individuals, as families, as a full community, what, uh, how, how can this be real in our lives? Uh, here's the first question. What mission has God given me or us to bring life? If you are not on mission right now to bring life somewhere, you may not be loving. Um, and, and this doesn't have to be like your personal crusade, right? You don't have to like wake up in the morning and God's given you a vision to do X, Y, or Z. It can be something that is another person's vision that you're simply a part of, that you engage with, participate in. But it has to be you being sent from your place of comfort, from my place of complacency, into the hard work of, of bringing the spirit of life to people. 
That might be, you know, VBS. It might be Camp Bowndale. It might be youth group. It might be, it could be anything. Awana. It could, it could be, um, you know, missions that we do uh, in foreign countries. It could be a lot of things. But you have to be on mission to bring life or you may not be loving. Number two. Are we seeing people saved? One thing to notice is that the word saved does not just mean coming to know Jesus. I want that. I want people to come in here and not know Jesus and be, and be like, listen, your sins have been forgiven. Trust in Jesus. You have eternal life. I want that. But salvation in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament especially, but throughout the Bible, it, it means more than just getting to go to heaven, having your sins forgiven. It, saved means just being rescued from whatever you're in. Wherever you're being, you know, attacked, oppressed, you know, brought down, salvation is, is having those chains broken. It's having, it's having new life brought in. It, it of course, ultimately uh, ends in eternal life, heaven and whatnot, but it has a real cash value now. Are we seeing people being liberated now in this place? Are we seeing people who are coming broken and hurt and being repaired and recovering now? Are we seeing kids being protected and defended now? <clears throat> Excuse me. If we're not seeing that, if we're not seeing new life being uh, delivered and brought up, we might not be loving very well. And the last one, the bad one. Is mission costing me, us, anything? We went to a, uh, a Maverick City music concert last night. Um, Doug and Jen, me and Aaron, and uh, Lindsay and Nate. And every time you go to one of these things, uh, they, they put the guilt trip on you. And they're, they're really good at it. So they had some guy, apparently he's famous. I don't know, I've never heard of him. But he gets up there and he's like, I'm famous for being a Christian. I'm like, and he's like, uh, he's like, he's like, tells a story about, you know, whichever nonprofit they have. It was, what was it called? Hungry People or something? <laughs> food for Hunger. It's an organization that gives food, I guess. So he gets up there and he's telling the story where he's meeting, you know, he's, he's, he's meeting with, uh, with the guy who runs Food for Hunger. And, and, he, and, and, and the guy who runs Food for Hunger says, listen, you need to look at your credit card statement and find out what you're wasting money on. So he says, he looks and he realizes that, you know, he, 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 gets, he gets coffee at Starbucks every morning. And if he adds it all up, all of the mornings he gets Starbucks coffee, it's a hundred and whatever dollars. And if he just, you know, put that towards food for hunger, then two kids every month would have X, Y, and then they're like, they're like, you get that? Here's the deal. Raise your hand right now and start giving, or, or you're bad. You're not, good at, you're not good at Jesus. So I, what I did is I just put my head down. I just, I looked at my phone, waiting for the thing, and the lady gave me a packet anyway, and I was like, Air Bear, here you go. You make the decision. I don't want to deal with this. Uh, my point is, is that uh, maybe just like, like you, I man, I really don't want my faith to cost me anything. I like my life. But I wonder, what am I missing out on? 
what, what radical thing that God is doing is just passing me by? And how much is my own heart bereft of love? Maybe I've got the love of my wife, the love of my friends, the love of my kids, the love of this church. But maybe I'm missing the love of God. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, the Halazmos, the atoning sacrifice. Jesus, we praise you for your gift of life in the Spirit. God, we've seen your love, we've experienced it. We know what it's like to have you come for us, pay the price for us, die for us. God, we ask now that your Spirit stir that love up in our hearts. The spirit that that says we're going to go on mission, we're going to seek to bring your eternal life in the here and now, healing, liberation, freedom, reconciliation. And God, we admit and we confess that we know it's going to cost us something. And Lord, we ask your spirit, Holy Spirit now, come stir in our hearts a willingness to start making the sacrifice, a willingness to pay the cost, a willingness to see your love, God, Father, renew and redeem. And in that, God, we confess that we will find the real joy, the true life that you set before us. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.